Oh, Christ, you are the Lord, and may we ever, ever more proclaim your glory. Tonight, tomorrow, to the ends of the earth, we will proclaim that you are the King of kings. Oh, Lord, as we open your word this evening, allow it to grip our hearts. May it be gripped afresh. If we don't know who you are or are struggling with you, Lord, call our name. Grip our hearts so that we may come closer to you. And for those of us that do know you and are just having a great old time, Lord, continue to have a party here tonight. For we have come to see you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's have a seat, everybody. Very good singing, O Holy Night. I definitely heard. You hit the high note, did you not? Yes, you did. I heard it. Very good. Thank you. That was great. I love a holy night. That's just a point of privilege. This is not the sermon. That's one of my favorite songs. And so thank you for indulging me to sing that. It's, it's, a, it's a great Christmas Eve hymn. So many of you if, you, if you know me, if it's your first time, you don't know me from Adam, it's fine. But uh, many of you know me and, and I have uh, three young children, Claire, Caleb, and Karis. They are wonderful. They are awesome blessings. And becoming a dad was a lot of fun. They tell you that when you become a dad, it kind of happens in stages of when it becomes real. Like for most dads, it doesn't become real until they hand you the baby and it's crying and they're like, good luck. And then everything's like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm a dad and I can feel that. For the mom, it's pretty real right in the very, very beginning. They already know what's happening there. But as I became a dad, I remember seeing the ultrasound pictures and, and looking at the little cashew that was moving around and hearing the heartbeat and, and seeing the movement on the monitor. And it's all very exciting. And I could call myself a father at that point. Uh, but the feeling is altogether different from the ultrasound room and from the actual hospital room when you hand you that child. See, it's a different type of seeing and beholding and knowing who I was when I actually got to hold my child when I got to feel their hand wrap around my finger and hear their cries for the first time. And I thought, oh, it's just a phase. They'll probably knock that off in an hour or two. And, <laughs> or feel their breathing. Why are you laughing? Or feel their uh, breathing, you know, when you lay them on your chest and you can feel their breathing at night at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and so, so many late nights. But it's a different sight and seeing when you actually get to hold and behold them. It's a seeing that moves beyond the eyes, that moves beyond mere comprehension and moves into your heart. And you don't got to be a parent to experience that. If those of you who are married understand when you look at a wedding ring and it says, oh, I'm married, that's an altogether different feeling than actually being married and working through uh, the joys of what it means to be married. And if you're not married, if you, uh, another example would be if you love pets and are adopting pets, Seeing a pet in a picture and then actually experiencing the joy of having that pet, watching it play fetch if you have a dog, because I don't think cats fetch. Do cats fetch? They fetch on their own time, right? Is that kind of how that goes? But that's a different, right? Seeing like the picture is different than actually holding and beholding this beloved animal. It's a sight that moves past our eyes, a deeper truth and a deeper understanding. When I held and beheld my children, what came to mind is this is my child. This is a blessing from God. And it was an instant transformation into fatherhood beyond just the definition of what a father should be. It changes your life. It brings about different priorities. This is called experiential sight. 
and it is a thing that completely transforms us. We can all agree that it's Christmas time. We can look around and we can drive outside and know that it is now Christmas. The lights are up and there are sales at the stores. Here at church, we've got all of this stuff and it can pretty much just say, hey, it is Christmas time. But my question for us tonight is how can we see experientially the true meaning of this celebration? How does it get into our hearts and into our spirit this deeper truth where it changes our priorities and transform us? How can we experientially see the Jesus who came to earth, God's one and only Son, the Word made flesh, who Scriptures tells us set up His residence. He dwelled among us and bids us to come and see Him. This has been our guiding kind of undergirding question through our series on Sabbath throughout Advent. And one answer that we talked about is engaging in this idea of a habit of weekly Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is just one of many spiritual disciplines, but there's something important about Sabbath. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's smack dab right there in the middle. And it's something that God himself instituted and practiced and wanted us to be a part of. So there is something there to help us to experientially see the truth of who God is. And it's in this habit of keeping Sabbath. And so often we miss out on it because Sabbath keeping sounds old. Sounds Old Testament stuff. Sounds like something that only the really religious people will do, and I don't have time for that. And my friends, that's precisely the point of Sabbath, of, of taking the time. Sabbath is a gift given to us by our Father so that we can rest in Him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And get this, experience true kingdom realities. What do I mean by that? The world that we live in, my friends, right now, is not supposed to be the world. This was not the original design. This was not the original hope. This was not the thing that God said, this is very, very good. The way that we are living now is not what it's supposed to be. There is a kingdom that is promised that is to come that gets ushered in by Jesus this evening as he is born. And the idea of Sabbath to help us truly see that beyond our eyes and get it into our hearts allows us to come to him, rest to him, and know these kingdom truths. All through Advent, we have these candles here that we light, hope, peace, joy, and love. And we built the sermon series around that, the kingdom truths of hope, peace, joy, and love. And that we encourage you that if you just possibly carve out a time in your week to engage in some of these Sabbath-keeping habits, we would explore and we would experientially see the true meaning of these words and not what we possibly have distorted them into. We would see the true meaning of hope that our salvation is secured and has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He came just as it was foretold. We would see the true kingdom peace of our right relationship once we were separated, but now we are made right and at peace, a perfect shalom with God. We would see the kingdom joy, a joy that wells up inside of us as we remember and recognize the grace in which we are saved and that it can be perpetual. This joy can happen even in our sorrows because our grace can never be taken away. 
And lastly, the true kingdom principle of love, what we heard this morning, that our Abba Father, you know what Abba means? Daddy. Our Abba Father has called us and claimed us as his own. Why? Because he perfectly loves us. And as we come into a Sabbath rest with the Lord, understanding and experiencing these kingdom truths, it not only helps us understand these words, hope, peace, joy, and love, that they're more than just the signs that you can buy at Hobby Lobby. How many people have bought those signs at Hobby Lobby? How many of you have a peace sign in your house somewhere? Don't lie. I know you do. They're more than that. These are the things in which we can truly know and rest and experience Jesus. All of this works together to not only proclaim the ultimate truth that Jesus is the true Messiah, but for us to experience this truth regularly and intentionally in our weekly lives. To see Jesus tonight as the newborn King of Kings. This is the last bit of Sabbath that we're going to talk about. By coming into a Sabbath rest with the Lord, we enter into the kingdom as it was always meant to be, where he reigns as Lord, King, and Sovereign. So you ready to dive in to see how this happens? I'm excited. Are you excited? I can see it in your face. Yes. Let's dive in. So let's make it a little biblical, everybody. Let's go to the Christmas story. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. If any of you have ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas, this is, this is the, the passage. So you probably have it memorized. You probably have it locked in your heart. You can open up the Bibles to 1018 to 1019. Those are the Bibles that are behind the pews if you want to follow along. We're going to see this in action. We're going to see what the characters of the nativity did, how they responded to this newborn king, and we're going to pull out some habits to help us with our Sabbath keeping. So as we look at chapter 2 in Luke, let's open this up and hear what the word of the Lord has to say. And then in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, an army, the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured all of these things up, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, it doesn't carry as much punch as Linus with the blankie, but you got it, right? Let's see this Sabbath 
keeping stuff in action with what the characters of the nativity did that night. Now listen, the shepherds aren't keeping Sabbath, right? They're not keeping Sabbath as the way the Old Testament has lined it out. But look at how they reacted to the chance to come into the presence of the one true king. Now, of course, they had some help. The heavens opened up. And the angel started singing, glory, glory to God in the highest. Now, if that happened to you, you'd be thinking, okay, something's going on, right? And it was no different for the shepherds. But it was really significant that the shepherds were called to be the first to go and see. You see, watch what they did. The angels came with this announcement, but what were the shepherds doing before the angel came with the announcement? They were keeping what? Watch. They were working, my friends. They were doing their jobs. They were living out their purpose. And the whole idea of a shepherd in ancient times was not so great. It was not necessarily a glamorous job. You see, the shepherds were kind of those, them. They were the others. They didn't want to interact with them too much. They were dirty. They, they hung around with animals all day. They were possibly not the most trustworthy of people to do business with. And so, for the Jews, they were not supposed to do very much business with them. And they were not allowed to testify in court because of that untrustworthy status. These were people who were out minding their business, watching over the sheep, who have no testimony and really no business in being called to go see this newborn king. And yet, what does God do? He goes to the least of these. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You, my friends, you come and see. How do we get a Sabbath habit out of this? They dropped what they were doing. They ceased from their work. And they made haste to go and sit at the feet of this baby that they have just talked about from the angels. And having gone and seeing this baby, what do they do? They report everything that the angels had said to them, the very word of God. They report it back to all the people that are there. They praise and they worship this newborn king, this new Jesus. And then they leave rejoicing and glorifying God to anybody that they can talk to. Remember what I said at the beginning, the difference between just seeing and knowing and actually experiential sight of truly beholding Jesus changes you and transforms your priorities. The shepherds leave forever changed. Those without a testimony now leave with the best testimony that anyone could ever have. They saw Jesus the Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so if we ever have a chance, if you can carve out that Sabbath time in your week, this is one of the things that you can do. You can cease from your working. You can sit and behold the very Word of God. You can pray. You can allow the Spirit to well up inside you and just be with the Lord and know that and trust that you can leave transformed, that your priorities may shift that you possibly could see the world differently without hate, without injustice, without all of the things that happen in our time right now. You can be part of the change for the world. And it begins with just carving out some time to intentionally behold the true Christ. Amen? Now, they are not the only ones. Who else is at the nativity besides Mary, Joseph, and, and Jesus? Who else comes? 
the wise men. Now, those of you who are good Presbyterians are looking at me and you're going to say, you can't talk about the wise men until January because those wise men were a little bit late. They came a little bit later in the time called the Epiphany. That's a $3 word for you there. But we're going to talk about them because they too reacted out of character. So if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, we're not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase for you. These wise men, they're Gentiles. You know what a Gentile is? Not Jewish. And they are uh, mystics, astrologers. They're very well, well, well versed in prophecies. And for some reason, it doesn't tell us in scriptures why, they had an interest in Jewish prophecies. Now, I read one commentary that said that it's quite possible that the wise men in the region that they were, came from, ancestors with ba the Babylonian exile, uh, the Jews that, that were carted off to, into Bab Babylon, and that they had access to those ancient texts and that they read and studied them. That sounds like a great thought. It doesn't say it in Scripture, but some smart person in a commentary said it, and I thought, well, that sounds very interesting. But at the end of the day, my friends, they were interested God puts a baby announcement in the sky. He hangs that star up there. And what did the Magi do? They stopped what they were doing and they picked up and they left for Bethlehem. They wanted to come and see this child. In fact, it says in Matthew 2, 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They already know that this is a special baby. Where is he born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. The wise men, when they come and they see Jesus, the, Jesus, they experience him beyond just sight with their eyes. They experience who he is in their hearts because scripture tells us upon seeing him, they fall to their knees and they worship. These mystic Gentiles fall to their knees and worship the newborn king. And they come with these little gifts. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if this is an exact replica at all. But they come with these gifts. And in these gifts, they bring, do you remember? Gold and myrrh. You know, I, you may have heard this before, the significance of those gifts. These Gentile magi people who just read the prophecies, in those gifts... They proclaim the three offices that have been foretold of this Messiah child, of prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one that holds all three offices. For in giving myrrh, that's the embalming part, that's for the prophet office, who the prophet usually ends up martyred and dies. In giving frankincense, that's the priest who burns incense and sacrifices for the Lord. And in giving gold, it is the king of kings. And their arrival, and their worship, and their truly beholding Jesus, they offer to him exactly who he is meant to be. Look at what they do, the shepherds and the magi. They stop what they are doing. Their priorities and their purpose changes. And they begin to behold truly who Jesus is. Wouldn't you want to jump at the chance to do exactly the same in your own busy lives. Wouldn't you want the chance just to carve out maybe a 24-hour period, and if you can't get there, start in increments, whatever it is, but to carve out some time where you stop from your work, where you just sit and rest with Christ so that you can experience truly who He is and to enter into His kingdom that we all are waiting for,
The kingdom that the prophet Isaiah said would be on this child's shoulders and will have no end to experience that kingdom now. It can happen. It is offered in Christ and it's open. It's a gift for each and every one of us to take advantage of. Seeing him in our hearts, just as Mary did, who pondered all of those things the shepherd said in her heart as she held the king of kings. So then how? How can we see this newborn king? How can you experience the real Jesus in your life who has promised to remove all the things that separate us from him, who promises to remove and replace all the things of worship that we put in front of him, that takes away our devotion away from him, that distorts and taints our love? How can we experience the true hope, joy, and peace and love in him to maybe even say what Simeon says at the temple when Jesus goes there as a child, When this guy sees Jesus, he says this, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. How can we have that? Well, my friends, the way for us to experience that is to move beyond maybe the ultrasound pictures of faith that we hold on to. The I pray every now and then, I go to church once in a while, yeah, I read the Bible, it's so boring. I just like to have good thoughts. These are all things that could point to Jesus for sure, but does it give us a true picture? Does it allow us to see and behold him in our hearts? It's one altogether different to know this than to actually experience it in our hearts And so we need to move beyond those things and remember what has been promised to us in Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, before he goes on to the cross to die and rise again, he says to them, do not grieve for too long. Your grief will turn to joy and promises them a helper, promises them a Holy Spirit who then sets up permanent residence in our hearts, those who believe in him, which means, my friends, we have open access. We have open access to listen to when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Oh, my friends, many of us in this room have filled up our to-do lists with so many shoulds and have-tos and gotta get-tos. We get it in all of the priorities out of order. Sure, we know who Jesus is, but we don't take advantage weekly of the gift where he says, come. Come, the King of Kings is demanding an audience. Can we just give just a bit of our time to actually truly experience him and know him beyond just words on a page or a picture that we see, but to know him in our hearts and to really know the true kingdom principles of hope, of peace, of joy and love. A hope that says your salvation has been fulfilled in him just as promised. A peace that says your relationship has been made right and can't be taken away. A joy that can perpetually happen no matter what the circumstances. And a love that says you are mine, says the Lord. I call you as my sons and daughters. My friends, listen to your hearts. The Holy Spirit is probably saying, This is a very good idea. (laughs) And experience the true Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Let's pray.
Oh my gosh, Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of Sabbath and that it is a gift. It is not this legalistic thing. It is an offering to have us come and be with you and sit with you and know you, Lord. Know you above the craziness of this world. Know you above the evil of this world. Know you above all the things that bring us down, that whisper lies to our ears to know you truly and to experience the freedom of true jubilee where everything is made right in you, dear Jesus. Oh God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room, even though it may not be perfect, that we would take advantage of this gift, that we would not return to sender, but we would open it with great exuberance and hope and expectation to find you there and to truly know and see you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only true son. Who should ever believe in him shall not perish, my friends, but have eternal life. The king of kings has entered the world and he bids us to come. He demands an audience with us, so come to him. See him truly. Experience who he is, the king of kings. And take that good news with you as the light to others who are in desperate need of the hope and salvation found in him. Go in his peace, go in his love, go in his light, my friends. Let's change the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.